Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm here every Sunday morning, as you know, from 7 to 8 a.m. Central Time, talking about the mental side of sports. And we delve into all kinds of issues about sports psychology, mindsets, attitudes, and sports. But before I get going today, I would be remiss if I did not uh, just mention the tragedy going on in the Middle East. And as I've watched the news and listened to the news throughout the week, it just really pains me to see all this, this hostility and anger and, and death going on. And um, what happened last week in Israel was, was a disgrace. Um, the people that came in there, they're, they're animals. What they did was wrong. But this is escalating now into something where all kinds of innocent people are getting hurt. And, you know, I just wish people could get along and people could relate to each other no matter how different we are. Black, white, up, you know, Jew, Christian, Muslim, doesn't matter what country you're from, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Asian, whether you're African-American, white, doesn't matter. We're all people. And I wish, I wish that we could all get along better. And I also wish in, in our political world there could be some sanity going on with all the craziness that goes on with the people in charge and what they're doing to lend to this crisis. But that's not what the show is about. But I just need to say that because it's uh, what's what's going on in Israel has really bothered me a lot this week. And I just want to share that anyway. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. This show is about the mental side of sports. And if you've listened before, you know, I'm in my 43rd year of work. I'm in my 32nd year here on the radio. Last 22 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And I really enjoy coming in here every Sunday morning. And it's early. My producer, Cavell Hudson, gets up. He gets in here, too. And we're ready to talk with you about attitudes and sportsmanship and mindsets and things like that. And I try to bring up topics each week that I think will be of interest for us. You know, the last couple weeks have been interesting. We've had calls right at the end of the show, so hopefully we'll get some callers calling in earlier today so we can get into some conversations. And what I'd like to do today, I want to talk about pressure. You know, we're in the midst of October now, and everything's going on. Every sport is is basically going on. You've got soccer, you've got football, you've got baseball playoffs, you've got basketball and the national NHL getting going. All the college sports are going cross, you know, college sports cross country is going on. It, it, there's so much activity happening and volleyball. There are just all kinds of things going on at all levels. At the youth level, a lot of the fall sports for, for youth sports are starting to wind down. The summer sports like fall baseball and softball are winding down. Soccer lasts, excuse me, a little while longer and then it'll move into futsal indoors. There's always the, you know, adjustments and changes. But I want to talk today about about pressure. What is it? Some people thrive under it. Some people don't. Now, I've had the privilege to work with athletes at all levels in my career, from youth sports to high school to the collegiate, professional, and Olympic levels. And quite frankly, there's no, I think, greater pressure than being a kicker in the NFL and coming in to kick the game-winning field goal in the Super Bowl as Harrison Bucker did last year for the Chiefs. And he nailed it. 
I've worked with Olympic Olympic athletes and many many gold medalists, many many medalists. You know, years ago, uh, I had Catherine Fox and Pete Malone on my show. Pete Malone coached the Kansas City Blazers for close to forty years, founded the club, made it the top swim club in the country. I worked with them for over thirty years. Had a number of Olympians, gold medalists. Catherine Fox was one of the best and. Catherine worked with me starting her senior year in high school and um, went to the Olympics and won two gold medals in 1996 in swimming. And she came on my show with Pete and talked about before the Olympics started, before she left to train with the Olympic team and go, go to Atlanta where the Olympics were, you know, what her mindset was like, what she was doing. And you know, I asked her, I said, what are your goals? Of course, I already knew this because we discussed it, but what, what were your goals for Atlanta? And she said, Dr. J, I want to go down there and do my best. I, I want to win medals. She was going to be in two relays. She wasn't sure at the time when she was on the show what event she'd be in. She, she'd be in at least one or two. I want to win medals, but you know what? If I go there and do my best, swim the best times I ever swum, and I come in dead last. I will be disappointed, but I won't be upset with myself. I'll be disappointed I didn't do, win a medal, but I'll not be disappointed in, in how I swam because it's the best I've ever done. And so Pete got into the discussion and reinforced that with her. And as one of the first Vietnamese American athletes for the United States in the Olympics, she ended up going to Atlanta winning two gold medals. Well, during the show, we had a, an individual call up, and this man started jumping on her and said, listen, I thought you go to the Olympics to win the gold. What's this this BS about doing your best? You know, you go to the Olympics to win the gold. And so she said, sir, quite frankly, you're wrong. You go there to compete, and you go there to put yourself out there in the situation to do the best you can. And if you win a medal, it's awesome. But if you go there and do the best you can, that's tremendous. So he didn't agree. Well, she goes down to Atlanta, wins two gold medals, comes back and came back on my show a few weeks after she was home. And she shared that not only did I do my best, I swam best times, but I won two gold medals. And the medals were the result of the effort I put in. Because I thrived under the pressure. Catherine went on to Stanford and won a number of NCAA titles as a swimmer. Uh, wonderful young lady. And has become very successful in her life after swimming. Well, pressure. Pressure in sports. What is it? You know, like, what's pressure in life? It's, it's, it's the expectation you put on yourself to do something. And hopefully to do it really well or do it better than you did the last time. You know, I always like to say this. You can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. What does a stronger mind mean? To me, a stronger mind is mentally preparing yourself for whatever comes up and not freaking out about it. You know, if you're out going play, playing golf today, you know, some people may be playing golf even though it's wet. It's fall, the weather's turning. You know, you're on the 17th hole, you're... You're in a, a match with somebody, 
you're even with him or her, and your opponent hits their drive right down the middle, and you're thinking, oh gosh, I gotta do the same thing, and then you duck hook it off to the left. Why? Because you're thinking too much about what you wanna do instead of focusing on how to do it. I think pressure in sports comes from expectations. There's a word that so many people talk about when I, I work with them. Expect, what are expectations? Expectations are what you think you, you should be doing, what you know you are capable of doing. But then when you don't do it, then that pressure mounts, and that's where the stress comes on and the tension comes on, the anxiety comes on, and there you go. You fall apart. So I think so much of dealing with pressure can be learned from coaches teaching kids how to fail, how to screw up when they're younger, and that it's okay. Now, some people are listening, oh, come on, Doc, that's ridiculous. You don't, you don't want kids to learn how to fail. Well, actually, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because when you fail, you have two choices. You can stay falling down or you can pick yourself up. And I think when you're younger and you fail, and you learn from it and grow from it, you don't get scared of it. When you get older, it doesn't become that much pressure. But when you're younger and you fail and you're criticized and you're insulted and people make fun of you, as you get older, then that fear comes on. All right, Cavell, let me get your thoughts on that because you may not disagree. What's, what's pressure? When you were younger playing sports, what was pressure for you? What was pressure? I guess just, yeah, trying to meet expectations that, you have in your head that aren't even necessarily the expectations, but that's what you're trying to focus on. At, were they, they your expectations or others? Um, I guess both. Okay. Because, like... Let's do our little therapy session here, my friend. All right, all right. Cavell likes it when we do these little therapy sessions on the air here. Go yeah, ahead. then i got to go home and sit with myself and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead. All right, so... All right, what was the question again? The pressure and the expectations. What are the, what are they? Where do they come from? Well, I guess I guess that's when you were younger. When I was younger, expectations. I don't know. See, like I've always had high expectations for myself. I used to go into a game and say, you know, all right, I'm gonna have um, twenty carries for two hundred yards, and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this, and then me thinking of that. So you had unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic. I was a bad boy. Don't get me wrong, but my team wasn't that good. But did you did you get that many yards rushing? No, I I, I told you I didn't get along with the coaches very well. Well, that's okay. That's a whole other show we can talk well, about. But, okay, but, go on. So, but what I'm saying is, the expectation that I wanted to do, and I'm focused on that. So then, when actual pressure situation comes up in the game, or even before the game. If I'm not doing that, now I'm not meeting the coach's expectations. So so I think there's a whole bunch of it's personal expectations and then expect, expectations of somebody, what they expect from you. So does that put pressure on you then? For sure. Okay. So It took me, me a long way to get there, I guess, and I didn't even get anywhere. So. Well, so did you have coaches when you were younger who, when you failed, when you dropped the ball or missed a shot, whatever was going on, whatever sport you're playing, mm -hmm. okay, did they get mad at you? Did they get upset at you, or did they reinforce it? Hey, it's okay. Let's work on it in practice. Well, I guess it wasn't a lot of that last one. It's okay. We'll work on it in practice. Like, it was more, 
Like if you drop a ball, I can't catch a cold. I thought you could catch it. <laughs> well, see, okay. Here's where I want to go with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I don't care what sport you, you're playing when you're growing up. You will screw up a lot. And to me, that's where you learn stuff. If you have a coach who gets angry at you for making a mistake, then what does that do to you internally? You know, you start stressing, you start pressing, you start thinking. And it leads you to more mistakes. Because what's in your head? Trying not to make a mistake. Yeah. You take, you know, Harrison Bucker in the Super Bowl, after the game he was interviewed, and he mentioned that a number of the other players on the team went up to him and said, I, I would have I shanked that so bad, man. How'd you make that kick? And he said his focus was on every kick's a big kick, and he focused on the next kick. Last week against, or last week, three days ago, you know, in, in the game here against the Broncos, he kicks a 60-yarder, a 61-yarder, and a 52-yarder. The 60-yarder was at the end of the first half. Nailed it. And I listened to his interview after the game. Same same focus. You know, he focuses on each kick and what he has to do. And he isn't thinking about if he makes it or misses it. He focuses on what he needs to do to execute. The process. And that's because, you know, he growing up, obviously he was given the right advice. You know, we had Brett Maher last year with the Cowboys, who's now at the Rams, in that Monday night game, infamous Monday night game, where he missed four kicks in a row. Okay. Because the pressure and expectation built. Now, he'd have been having a good season up to that point, but then he fell apart. Uh, Rob Thompson is the Philadelphia Phillies manager. He's known me since ni- the 1980s when he's KU's catcher. I've stayed in touch with him over the years. We texted the other day, congratulate him on the Phillies making it to the National League Championship Series. And one of these, one of these he, he said was, you know, they're, they're really focused on themselves and having fun. Okay, well... That's because they're not worrying about failing. You know, the Phillies won game one of the series against Atlanta. Atlanta's first place. Phillies have been coming on strong at the end of the year. Game two in, in Atlanta, Philadelphia was ahead, then they, they blew it at the end of the game. Bryce Harper made a, a base running mistake. Didn't matter. They came back to Philadelphia, blew out Atlanta in game three, and then won game four. Because their confidence level is so high, they're not, my, I, I don't know any of the players, but what I picked up from, from his comments were, they're just focusing on having fun and playing baseball. And so I think, you know, if you listen to the people, the teams that succeed, the pressure becomes a catalyst. It becomes a motivator. It becomes something that they use for themselves. So I'd love to hear from you at 913-3810-810 and get your thoughts on this. If you're a coach, what is pressure? And what are expectations? And, and are they good or bad to work with kids on i think it's a tremendous thing to teach kids at a young age about it's okay to fail not because you want to it's okay to fail because you're going to fail you're going to screw up you're going to make mistakes that's the key thing you know in the super bowl harrison bucker missed the field goal in the first half he had missed a kick in five games in a row the key thing for him, I think, was that the next kick he had was an extra point, and he made it. And so that's where, to me, I think his focus, and I don't know what it was, but his focus was on the next kick because he's learned throughout his career to do that. All right, 913-3810-810 is number. I'd love to hear. Okay, let's go 
to Crush. Crush, good morning. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Um, You're awake listen, this morning, this early. That's good. Yes, sir, absolutely. Uh, listening to you and um, Gogel talk, i got a couple things for you. Okay. Now, you were talking about you know youth sports. I believe that what this first thing I'm going to bring up, uh, collegiate coaches and professional coaches do, do well at this. It's a good one to do. I think sometimes youth coaches, this, is, this would be really key for them. What you see out there in all, all sports, okay, uh, is it, it, it's more uh, reactive coaching than proactive coaching. Okay. So Excuse me, let me inter- You are 100% on, online. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So play breaks down. It's poorly executed. Uh, then afterwards, we, we holler out, uh, this is what should have been done, and you should have known better, and all this type of stuff. Okay. There was no instruction going on pre-pitch or pre-play, pre-snap, uh, pre-gun, what, whatever. You, you know, there was no instruction going on. Worse than that, we, we didn't even work on that particular play, which is fine. There's only so much time. We didn't even work on that particular play ever at any point. But yet you're going to think that this youth should somehow execute this play properly when you didn't even say anything pre-pitch or pre-snap or pre-whatever that that should have happened. So I, I believe, and I've got a couple other things for you, but you know, being proactive instead of reactive. Coaches need to have a pen and paper more often. And when you want to say your reactive thing, just write it down and then work on it in practice or halftime or whatever. Well, that, well that's, that's, called, that's called teaching. That's called teaching. And, and you're right. Let me jump in here because I agree with you 100%. And I've worked with, you know, throughout my 43 years, I've worked with, you know, all kinds of coaches, good coaches and pretty bad ones. And the really good ones, especially at the youth level, don't get angry when somebody one of their team members screws up they will work with them to try to get them to understand why they made a mistake work on them in practice and to help them get better and that's proactive coaching react see i was i have a saying a good coach checks his or her ego at the door it's not about them it's about the people they're coaching but if they let their ego their persona their how they feel get in the way it screws up these kids heads agreed agreed uh Something interesting here. I was in a situation one time uh, where I was helping some some people out, and uh, when when something would break down, the head coach would kind of turn over and and the people that was on the bench basically he, he would give them a hard time. And so finally, in the office one day, I says, "Coach, I says uh, those guys that you give a hard time to." I said, "I know you're frustrated, you, you know." Those guys that you have a hard time to are probably looking at you saying, well, why don't you put me in the game and I won't do that? You know, so, I mean, you got to really pay attention to what you're doing if you're the boss. You, you know what I'm saying? Now, that's that's for coaches. Now, I got, I got something for players to handle pressure. A couple weeks back, uh, do you remember when Ed called you? Um, the shooter. The National yes, Champion yes, yes, shooter. right, yes. That was an amazing call. But, okay, that guy is an amazing man. Okay, uh. And I've, I've called and said this little part of my teaching, uh, but it's been three or four years ago, so I, I figured maybe we got some people who excuse it. So for players, and I, I've thought about this a lot of the last few shows. Now, I came up with this, but I'm, I, I, in my opinion, I invented it. But I'm sure somebody from Memphis or the Dominican Republic or you know South Florida has also been saying this, right? But no one taught me this. So verbal. <clears throat> Verbals are like short 
short phrases that you would say to yourself during these moments of pressure, okay, short verbals that you would say to yourself that contain positive thoughts. And so now your mind is full. This is why, you know, counselors will, or anybody will teach you breathing techniques. Um, right, I do so that now all the your time. Mind is, yeah, now your mind is full of positive thoughts, okay? And, you, and, and verbals disallow time for negative thoughts. So if I'm, if I'm saying, you know, short to it, long to it, talking about hitting, you know, if I'm saying see the ball, hit the ball, you know, the media hates hearing this all the time. Get a good pitch to hit and hit it hard. Well, that's really just what they're trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Well, all that talk, this allows time for negative thoughts. Like, man, there's 50,000 people here. It's the playoffs that I'm about to strike out. Okay, well, that's not, that's not a good verbal. You know, just like you wouldn't have the word don't in your verbal because that's a negative word. Like, don't strike out would be a terrible verbal. Or don't get mad. You just said the word "don't" and "mad." How about like? Well, right. You're, what you're what you're saying? So, I don't want to jump in. I'm going to let you go, buddy. I'm going to let you go. You no, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, you're bringing up some yeah, great, right, great right. points. I appreciate you calling in, and, and you're right. Language is a, is a huge key with coaching, and and one of the sayings I have is a good coach is a good communicator. A great coach is a good listener. And great. And I also want to add, man, I'm glad I stayed on for a second. Um, anybody out there that's like, damn, man, like, I'm not doing good enough. I, I've gotten better every year. I learn from other people. I learn from, like, Doc here. So, you know, if you think, man, I mean, how, how you know, a little bit more than me, because of other people that I've learned from. And, I, and also because I, I want to be good. Okay, man, I'll let you go. Listen, thanks for your call, buddy. You take care of yourself. All right, let's go next to Tommy. Tommy, good morning, Dr. Jacobs. How you doing? Tommy, are you there? there ever, there you are. Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Okay. Has anyone ever told you you almost sound like Stan Weber? <laughs> uh, yes, but I'm okay. not. But I'm not actually. Stan Weber sounds like me. There you go. Okay. I, I, I correct. I'm corrected. Yes, okay. Stan does sound just like you. All right. Dr. Okay. Weber. And people don't know who tell people who Stan Weber is, and people some people don't know he's the K State announcer. So go go ahead. Yes. Very knowledgeable in all sports. A big time Dallas Cowboys fan. We won't hold that against him, will we? No. Okay. I've been a coach for over 35 years, and I don't think I've always had the philosophy coaches, or excuse me, athletes want to be taught hard. They want to be coached. And I have felt that way for many years. Maybe over the last few years, I feel like that philosophy has changed a little bit. And I feel like the athlete today, high school, I've coached high school, college, and been fortunate to coach some professional athletes. What's, what sport? In track and field. Okay. In track and field. It's an individual sport. 95% of the time we can put relay teams together or a team. There is some team aspect. It is an individual sport. Um, most of the ones that I've had have been fortunate to coach some very good state champions, national champions, and some gentlemen that went to Olympics. They all wanted to be coached hard. But obviously that came from the parents. A lot of times the parents have that instilled, that discipline instilled in the athletes. If the parents don't have that philosophy or that kind of work ethic instilled into the athlete, then you're going to have an issue. You're going to have a battle. The male or female you may coach doesn't understand why you are coaching them hard, why you are instructing them, why you even may yell at them. And I have had athletes to say, yeah, mommy and daddy may have never yelled at you before, but we will. I will. I will instruct you. I want you to produce. 
And here's another phenomenon that you may or may not be aware of. I've been to a few high schools now. The phenomenon now is, and I correct them, the athlete may not call the coach coach or the coach in his last name. They just yell at the athlete, just yells out his last name. And I, that just boils my blood. I think it's so disrespectful. I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's a cool hip thing. I don't know what, what it, where it started. I don't know why it started, but it just, to me, it just throws out uh, a lot of disrespect from the athlete to the, to the coach. Let me, okay, let me jump in here for a second. First of all, uh, you coach track and field. Well, my first job as in the sports psychology world was at the University of Kansas with the track, track and uh, cross country teams. Uh, Bob Timmons and Carla Coffey, the track coaches, 1981, hired me for five bucks a day, one day a week, my very first job. And uh, Bob Timmons, I love that man. Uh, Steve Kiefer's assistant coach. Um, they they gave me an opportunity to do things. I've had several of the athletes on that show or on that team have called the show before. Um, Jim Ryan's been on the show before talking about Bob Timmons and how great he was. But what I loved about Bob Timmons was he had expectations of his athletes. But one of the reasons he, he decided to hire me when when he met me was he said, this is this is an area we have to get better at. We've got to teach these these kids, and they were kids, you know, young men. But we've got to teach them that failure is part of what they're going to do. They're not always going to get best times or best heights, and they've got to learn from it. And what I found throughout my career is that the athletes who do end up getting to the top levels have learned that failure is part of the game, and it's it. They don't like it. But it's okay. And what I mean by that is, I mean by it's okay, they know what's going to happen. So they learn to deal with it and accept it and not fight it. And the ones that don't are the ones that fail continually because of the pressure and expectations that others put on them. And they're letting everybody down and then they fall apart. Does that make sense to you? Most definitely. The, uh, the failure, it's going to happen. I preach the same thing. Guys, ladies, we're going to lose. You're going to lose. It's going to be okay. And sometimes that losing, because sometimes you lose a football game, it's a team, the team takes the loss. But if you're running the 100 meters against seven other people and you're on the track and there's 200 people in the stands, their fear is that someone or somebody's in the stands is going to see them lose and they don't know what, they don't know if they can handle someone coming up. Oh, you lost. And, you know, I even had parents that, have unreal expectations and i can't believe my son lost well he ran against someone two years older than but did but did he run the best time did he do his best exactly you pr they don't understand i my motto is never never walk never be mad at running a running a pr or a pb personal best personal record well that's like i meant i shared the the story about Catherine fox the olympic swimmer from the kansas city blazers and the guy who called you know Catherine said before she went to the olympics in 1996 yeah, I'm going there to do the best I can. This guy called up and got angry and said, well, you're going to win the gold. You're not doing it. And she goes, sir, if I do the best I can and I come in last place but I swim the best time, I'll be disappointed I didn't get a gold a medal, but I won't be upset with my performance. And and that's because she learned you know, from Pete Malone, her coach, and things that she and I worked on with that whole mindset. And that's the key thing. Listen, Tommy, thank you for calling. Call back again. you got great comments here. I appreciate your call this morning. No problem. And uh, Deion Hogan, is that a name from the past? Deion Hogan, great. Yeah, I love Deion Hogan. He was a there sprinter. Yeah, I, I, great guy. Great guy. I love working with him. Have a great day. Thank you, sir. Take care.
Bye-bye. All right, that frees up our lines here at 913-3810-810. We'll, we'll go to Tim before we go to our break here. Tim, good morning. It's Dr. Jacobs. How you doing? Good morning. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple things that uh, that you just mentioned, and there are F-words. Flop, fear, failure. I, I, I want to take a different position with you. I think you're saying the same thing, but I think that it needs to be more clear. Flop, failure, fear are all part of the process. And I think if you take a look at it as part of the process and incorporate that into the teaching, into the coaching, then I think it becomes a little bit less of a burden or less of a stressor stressor and it becomes more of a learning situation because you are saying you are going to fail but that's part of the process of learning how to get better you're never going to be perfect but if you can use your failures to learn from and to be ready for the fact that, hey, at some point in time, I may shank a shot or I may, you know, hit the upright and it goes, bounces the wrong way or somebody else is just faster than me, then knowing that that's going to possibly happen, you can incorporate that into your preparation and into your mantras and whatever your your positive think and get better through the process of learning. Yeah, we're saying the same thing, just a different way of saying it. You're exactly right. I mean, failures, as I said, failure is part of the learning process. So, so instead of being afraid of it and scared of it, you have to embrace it. That's the fourth chapter in our book, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Sports. Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun is that chapter. Because you have to learn from it and grow from it. It's part of the process, as you're saying. And if you can learn from that and understand, you know, when I say it's okay to fail, I don't mean you should enjoy it, but it's okay because it's going to happen. Then you don't freak out about it and say, okay, I'm going to learn from this and grow from it and get better. And I think we're saying the same thing. Well, yeah, and if you're always a winner, if you're always number one, and you've never been faced with failure, you don't know what failure looks like. Yeah, and then all of a sudden failure or fear happens, then then the fear of failure kicks in, and you will flop. There you go. Failure flop. It it just you you need to be cognizant of what failure may look like, and I don't think that's coached enough. No, it's not, and because coaches' egos get in the way, and then they get angry at kids for screwing up, and then the kids get, you know, develop problems because I let everybody down, and then they're down in the dumps, and then instead of working on it, that's where it becomes a problem. Listen, we got, I, I really appreciate your call. We're talking about the same thing here, just a different way, but thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Have a great day. All right, that frees up our lines here at 913 We're going to go to a break, come back. Great calls this morning. I'm talking about how you deal with pressure and failure. How is it taught? How is it not taught? If you're a coach, I'd love to hear from you and get your thoughts. When your kids or the, or the team you're coaching fails or loses, 
what do you say to them afterwards? Or do you make that a learning experience or do you get angry? Our phone number is 913-3810-810. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHP. Good morning, everybody. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and that's the doors back from my old days growing up. Anyway, I'm here every Sunday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. here in the Sports Psychology Hour at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And today's topic is pressure. How do we learn from it at a young age? We've had some great calls so far, and I'd love to hear from you. Our phone numbers, our phone board's open right now at 913-3810-810. You know, what, when you're teaching kids sports, or you're a teacher, let, let, you know, let's go to the classroom for a second. And you're a teacher, and you're teaching math, and you're working on algebra or geometry, whatever it might be, fractions, decibel points, all that stuff that was years ago for me. Anyway, when you teach that, and you have students that don't get it, as the teacher, what do you say to them? You hand out the test, so you got a. 64, you got a 75, you got a 46, you got an 89. I mean, what do you say anything to the kids that do poorly? My sense is most teachers probably don't. I think most teachers, you know, they just hand out the test. Now, I'm not saying some don't do that. Some do it. But I think most teachers, they just hand out the test and they don't say anything to the kids that did poorly. So then the kids that did poorly think they're bad. I suck at math, I suck at history, whatever it might be. And then as they get older, they get afraid of doing it and they, they don't do well again. So when when you're, you've got kids that you're coaching or teaching, what do you say to them when they screw up? You know, we talk about pressure. So as you get older, when you're playing sports, and you failed. If you if you've handled pressure, if you were taught things the right way, like the language, one of our callers mentioned earlier, language, how a coach talks to you, how he or she talks to you, teaches you how you can move on. So if you have a coach whose language is full, full of negatives, it just it it paralyzes them, and and they get older, that fear develops. But if you teach them that, you know, and some people aren't going to disagree with me on this, but failure is okay because it's going to happen. It doesn't mean you have to like it. But when I say failure is okay, it's part of the, the growth process. We all fail. We all screw up. We all make mistakes. But if the pressure is on you, what's wrong with you? Why'd you do poorly with that? Then what happens is, you get afraid to do well the next time because you're scared of screwing up. My first tennis match in high school, junior varsity match, I won 6-1-6-0. My dad came home, and I was sitting on the stairs talking to my little sister, my mom, my grandmother, my mom's mother who lived with us. And my dad walks in, who was a very successful physician, very critical of me about a lot of things, probably why I'm in this profession. And he says to me, how'd you play today? I said, I won 1-0. His response was, not good enough, you lost a game, as he walks up the stairs. And my grandmother, who's his mother-in-law, looks at him and says, 
funny you say that to him. You can't win any games off of him. Then he looked at her and smiled, walked up the stairs. But it's like, wasn't good enough because I lost a game. I won, but it wasn't good enough. How often do you tell your kids that? How often does a coach say, well, you won, but you should have done this. Yes, we did it, but we should have done this. There's always a learning process in sports, in life for that matter, but in, in sports, what you're talking about. But what what's the end result? The end result is, did you play the best you could today? And if you did, did you feel, if you felt you played the best you could, great. If you didn't play the best you could, why not? All right, we still got time to get some calls in here. We have great calls so far. Our phone number is 913-3810-810. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. If you're a coach, you're a parent, you're an athlete. Are you an athlete and you've had coaches who no matter how you played, how you performed, were always on you about doing better? Well, that was good, but you should have done more. And this comes down from the expectations. Okay, I, I, several years ago, was asked to be a consultant in a case with a football player who died, college football player who died. He was a running back. He was a senior. And he ended up having second impact syndrome. He had a concussion that he got was basically a second concussion and ended up dying from that. They had to drill a hole in his head and, and to relieve the pressure, and he died two days later. So he got a concussion as a fullback in the Oklahoma drill. If you know what that is, that's where everybody runs into each other. Well, there are all kinds of signs all over the camp at the training room about concussion education. The NCAA had these signs up there. The trainer had educated the players, but this guy's like, I got to keep playing. I got to keep playing. You know, I got, I've got to play. So what does he do? He does the Oklahoma drill, gets that concussion, and then they had some more plays going on. And a couple days later, it gets concussed again. He passes out. The running back coach stands over him, cusses him out, yells at him, while the guy's starting to foam at the mouth, at which point then the trainer runs out, pushes the running back coach away, realizes he's seriously injured. He ends up being airlifted to a hospital. As I said, he had to have a hole drilled in his skull to relieve the pressure and ended up dying. It's just a, just a terrible, awful situation. But why did that happen? Because he felt pressure. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I can't, I can't fail. I can't screw up. I can't not play. Because growing up, the pressure that was on him to have to win, to have to be better than everybody else. Instead of looking at the fact that, hey, you've got an injury here, son. You've got to take it easy. What? But the pressure, the expectations placed on him, you can't screw up. You can't make a mistake. You're weak if you don't keep playing. Now, this was close to 10, 12 years ago when this happened. Things are changing in sports, in life. I, I think... Let, let, let's take the Chiefs for a moment. Travis Kelsey in Minneapolis rolls his ankle. 
Okay. And obviously he was hurt. Came to the sideline. You know, they took him out of the training room, retaped him, came back in, and he, he could play. He played and he, he did great. Actually made some great plays, made a tremendous catch. And then against uh, Denver this week, he played and played well. He's a competitor. You know, he doesn't want to not play. But I think if the training staff with the Chiefs felt like he could not go out there, he would not have been out there. And I'm sure he wanted, he would have got, said, I want to go out no matter what. But the mindset with him was, which I don't know him, but my sense is, his mindset, I, I'm, I'm, I can do it. And I have a feeling if he didn't think he could, he would hurt the team. He wouldn't go out there. Because he's learned throughout his career how to handle these situations. That's why I think he's so good. If you're a youth sport coach, if you're a high school coach, college coach doesn't matter. Even professional. Okay. The people on your team, well, most. There's always somebody who doesn't. But people on your team want to do well. Want to win. They want to succeed. But the key thing to me is, what does it take to be the best? I think when you're younger and you're growing up and you're, you're playing sports, you're in school, whatever you're doing, you have to learn about pressure and failure and not be scared of it. You had a call earlier, talked about language. The language that, that your, your, your coaches use with you makes such a big difference. And fear. See, expectations and fear, they, they go hand in hand with pressure. When the expectations are too strong, you get afraid and then the pressure kicks in and you fall apart. So if you're a coach listening to the show, hopefully you've picked up something today. I think the key thing is when your athletes fail, when they make a mistake, when they screw up, strike out, miss a shot, miss a putt, you know, turn too soon in the pool, double fault, hit a ball out of bounds, whatever it is. How do you coach them on that? To me, the key thing is this. If you get angry and scream and yell at them, especially with their kids, you're not helping them. If you pull them aside and say, all right, we're going to work on this in practice. I know you didn't want to do that, but we're going to work on it. Here's what you did wrong. It becomes a teachable. They talk about teachable moments. That's what that is. And that's where you can help those kids when they get older, not be scared to make a mistake. Because it's a part of the game. You know, the greatest NCAA Final Four championship game performance was by Bill Walton. He missed one shot. Like 1972, I think it was. Missed a shot. Didn't make everyone. You know, but you got to keep playing. So if you're an athlete, think about this. And, you know, I do a little self-promotion here. The book that I co-wrote with Pete Malone and Jeff Montgomery... It's called Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. We talk about this in the book. We talk about language. We talk about how to talk. And as I said, our fourth chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. It, it gives you guidance, especially with kids, on how to deal with these things so that they grow and learn from it rather than become afraid. You know, I, I love doing this show every week. I love the calls we had today. They're great calls. Really appreciate it. Because I bring up topics that I want to get in discussions with you about. And I'd love to hear love to hear from you. 
if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, you're a parent, if you have topics you'd like me to get into on this show, I'd love to send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. You know, give me a call at my office, 816-561-5556. Talk about that. You know, this is a topic that I'm going to bring up again and again and again because it's going to keep happening. You know, we watch, you know, you watch sports on TV. You go to sporting events. Somebody wins, somebody loses, unless, you know, you can tie. But those are rare. And what happens is the team that wins talks about how everything was great. The team that loses talks about what's wrong. But the teams that grow are the ones that take their performance and learn from it. You know, I love doing this show because, like I said, we talk about these topics. And sports talk radio doesn't get into this stuff very much. I may hit on it here and there. I've been interviewed all over the country by a lot of different stations and TV and radio podcasts about sports psychology. I'm one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. When I started doing this in 1981, people had no interest in, in hiring me because they, an athletic director at one of the local colleges here in Kansas City said, I don't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft. And I said early in the show, my first job was at the University of Kansas. November of 1981, I got hired by Bob Timmons and Carla Coffey, the track coaches, for $5 a day. $5 a day, one day a week. And Bob Timmons and Carla Coffey, they believed in me. And Bob Timmons is, like I said, one of the greatest people I've ever known. Coach Jim Ryan, who broke the high school record, the, the four-minute mile in high school. Timmy, when he met me, when I gave a presentation to the coaches, Timmy stood up and said, I'm as excited, and I remember this very vividly, I'm as excited about working with you as I was when Jim Ryan broke the four-minute mile, because if you can do what you're saying you can do, we're going to get a lot better. And we did. And I've loved working with everybody I work with. I enjoy doing this show. And I hope, you know, if you listen to the podcast or getting something out of it, you know, our shows are podcasted every, they're podcasted everywhere. You know, go to my website, winnersunlimited.com. Click on the podcast tab. You can listen to them there. All the major apps, especially SoundCloud, where I'm listening to over 5,000 times a week all over the world. It's pretty interesting with that. So I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for the calls. And I want to send out a special hello to Anne-Marie from Regis on the Plaza, who said she'd be listening this morning. So thank you, Anne-Marie. She's a great receptionist at our front desk there and does a great job. So thank you for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Once again, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. It's the Sports Psychology Hour. Our show's a podcast everywhere. Get, get coaches that you know to listen to what we talked about today, about language, about coaching, about communication, because I think it's going to help them understand the kids they work with. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next Sunday on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB.